Hi everyone, it's John and Ben, and welcome back to Santa by the Minute, the podcast where Ben and I talk about 1985 Santa Claus the movie, one minute at a time. We are back after a two-week hiatus. We yes. broke our streak, Ben. We broke our streak. Well, you know, a lot of things happened all at once, and we just ran out of time, and that is life, and that happens. So we apologize. Yeah, yeah. I do apologize. My work schedule changed very suddenly, and then the following week was our son's seventh birthday, and of course, all this happened at a time when we didn't have any episodes pre-recorded ahead of time. Right. So we have a gap, you know, and it kind of worked out like this is the exact moment where it feels like we're prepping to cover a totally different movie. Yes. This is the this is the exact minute of Santa Claus, the movie where the entire tone of the movie takes this abrupt change. It's all whimsical fantasy magical like the first half and then like boom it's like this satire comedic satire of corporate america for the second half it's a very very sudden uh, tonal shift yes <laughs> so anyway we are on the floor of the u.s senate that is where we left off two weeks ago here in minute number 62 i don't even know if i said that <laughs> You know, I don't know either, but that's where we're at. Minute 62. <laughs> Minute 62. We are on the floor of the U.S. Senate sometime in 1984. Now, thanks to the novel, our last episode a couple weeks ago, putting our heads together, we are trying to decipher the timeline of this movie, as longtime listeners know. And I always assumed there was more of a time jump. But studying the footage, the establishing shot of the... Uh, Capitol building, you could see people crossing the road wearing scarves, and there were no leaves on the trees. Right. And in the novelization, it said that the senators, like, still had the recent holiday break on their minds. Yes. So this is fairly after Christmas. Yeah, very close to the holiday season, yeah. So, (laughs) I looked it up. I looked up when Senate returned to session... In 1984. So I have an exact date in the timeline here. I wrote it down. Ben has it on her sheet because uh, I wrote it down like two weeks ago. Anyway, (laughs) when is that date? The date was January 24th, 1984 was when they returned to work after their holiday vacation. So in the movie timeline, this should be taking place January 24th, 1984. That's right. Yeah, relatively close to that, yes. Either on that day or maybe the week of, because they're all still kind of thinking of, oh, that was a great vacation we just had. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, Ben, what is the Senate hearing about exactly? Well, this particular Senate subcommittee meeting is focused on the president of the BZ Toy Company, one of the largest toy makers in the nation. And there are some safety issues going on that they that they found out with some of the toys that BZ, BZ's company produces. So, some minor safety issues. Minor we'll ones. Just, I, don't, I don't know how they even caught on to these. I no, mean, I don't so know minor. how they figured these out. You know, I mean, these, these nothing to worry about. <laughs> nothing to worry about. Gee, there, there is so much to this minute, I, I don't know where to begin, because <laughs> this is our first real minute of John Lithgow in this movie. 
it is playing BZ. Now, um, I don't think there's any Santa Claus the movie related material that actually reveals what the BZ stands for. It does not in the book either. The book doesn't say what his actual name is. What the initials of BZ stand no. for. No. Nope. Because the name BZ in the production of the movie-wise, it dates back to like the very earliest treatments of the script, where Patch was going to be named Scratch and be more of a antagonist, more of a villainous character. And he would join forces with this evil toy maker named BZ, which was short for... But uh, Beelzebub, named after Beelzebub, so Scratch and Beelzebub, both nicknamed for the devil. But uh, now, in this movie, you're into one of your wild and wacky things again. Mm -hmm. BZ Toys. What does BZ stand for? Actually, I asked David Newman, the screenwriter, and he said, as a matter of fact, it's short for Beelzebub. <laughs> but, so you can take that any way you like. <laughs> That's um, the devil's uh, longer name, of course, and BZ is certainly, uh, he's certainly the embodiment of sort of modern day evil, you know, glutted with money and greed and a heart of stone. He's the antithesis to Santa Claus, and hence BZ. In the context of the movie, it's probably something like what I, I want, I, in my head, it's like Brian Zimmerman or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was the exact name that I was thinking. Oh, really? Like, I've, uh -huh. I've, nev I've never said that out loud to you. I've been keeping that in for the How past year and a half or so. As, as you <laughs> said it, I really wish I just said it at the same time as you. Because as you were saying it, I was in my brain, I was going, Brian Zimmerman. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a Brian Zimmerman from our childhood? Like, uh, is that like a character's name that we just instinctively new or i mean there's it... only so many z last names well, yeah i guess yeah. there'd be like Zelinsky, maybe right oh that's so funny but anyway so like like, <laughs> like there's scott kelvin in the santa claus with tim allen so right brian zimmerman and... <laughs> that's his name now whether it rather it actually happened or not who knows that's we're gonna name. make it canon if we repeat it enough on the internet it's gonna become <laughs> fact eventually yeah i'll put it on our website and someone will think that that's an actual thing and we'll be good to go we just pulled that out of thin air and now it's now canon yep <laughs> come and fight me <laughs> So, so should we just do our overview of John Lithgow right now? Yeah, you might as well. And then I can get into how the novel describes uh, BZ as a person. Or what he looks like, anyway. And there are some other noteworthy performers in this scene. So this is a jam-packed all-star minute once again. John Lithgow, born October 19th, 1945, and... You know, he, he has to be at this point. Is it safe to call him a uh, American treasure? Yes. <laughs> a national treasure? Absolutely. <laughs> as long as he doesn't do anything. Yeah, as long as nothing comes out that we don't know about. Or else this he doesn't podcast, do anything now. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't pull a Bill Cosby, and this podcast right. is very poorly dated. <laughs> when right. we look back at it and we have to cringe, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> As of this very moment in time, I would say yes, he is. <laughs> Star of stage, screen, television. 
Mm-hmm. He has written children's books. He's recorded CDs. I don't know if there's anything this man hasn't done. He has quite the prolific career. This movie has the honor of being the <laughs> performance in the movie that he seems to hate the most. <laughs> he is on record, multiple sources, how much he thinks this is the worst movie he's ever been in. But mm-hmm. if he was having a bad time doing this movie, it does not show on screen. No, I am I am fairly convinced that whatever made him decide that this was such a horrible movie either happened after the movie was filmed. It was some sort of a uh, behind-the-scenes thing afterwards that has made him dislike being in this movie so much. Not the actual movie, because he looks like he's having a ball being BZ. Yes, the most corrupt, you know, full-of-himself, pompous, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, sleazy guy you can imagine and it's such a great performance it's hilarious so i have the page from the press kit that uh darren sent us a while ago darren we're still going to get you on this podcast eventually we promise yes we are (laughs) we promise so at this time 1984 85 uh john lithgow is called double oscar nominee john lithgow and this was still pretty early on in his career because he'd made a name for himself on Broadway at this point. He's won multiple Tony Awards, and now he's getting into uh, movies. And let's see, I, I, what movies was he nominated for? His breakout performance in 1982's The World According to Garp, and his second Academy Award nomination was for Terms of Endearment, 1983. Of course, Ben, you you remember him from Footloose in yes. 1984. Ren McCormick made a lot of people stop and think. I object to that kind of music, and I think you know why. Because people fornicate to it. I never said that. That's what you told the church board. That was not meant for your ears. Well, when do my ears get old enough, Daddy? When do you stop protecting me? Don't you talk like that in here! Why not? Yes, John Lithgow, for me, was always Footloose and Beezy. Those were the two things that he, he was. <laughs> well, what about 1987's Harry and the Hendersons? I don't have that. Uh, that one doesn't really stand out as much to me. Like, only when you mention it does that pop into my brain. Like, I don't, oh, oh, yeah, he was in that. <laughs> I don't even know if I remember anything about that movie. Other That's than so it was funny. a big clip. Something. The Hendersons have an unusual house guest. It just ate our goldfish. And where is it now, Mr. Henderson? It's in the bathroom. He wasn't invited, but he's not an intruder. Just give me one week. George, we don't have enough house for two days. He doesn't fit here. So I'm going to take a uh, Harry and the Hendersons related sidebar for a second. Okay. Before I ever saw the movie, I don't remember what age I was when I saw the movie, but it must have been when it came out to VHS. But before I even saw the movie, for some reason, I don't know why, but I still remember to this day, I don't remember what grade I was in, but for a couple of weeks after recess, the teacher read us the novelization, the movie novelization of Harry and the Hendersons. (laughs) I don't know if this has sparked my uh, lifelong fascination with Bigfoot or not. But I still remember, like, the book, like, would describe how the thing smelled and uh, and all this other stuff. Um, but I... Did it say that, um, that Bigfoot liked donuts? 
Probably, probably. I don't remember it word for word, but it still sticks with me. It's like, so weird that the teacher read us the novelization to Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> so it came out in 87, so it had to have been somewhere in that timeline, because I hadn't seen the movie yet. But maybe she wanted to read the novelization to Harry and the Hendersons, and this was an excuse. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, that stuck with me to this day. And isn't it isn't it interesting that twice in my life... I, I can point to two instances where novelizations of movies starring John Lithgow have come into my life. I mean, not many people can... That's not something uh, a lot of people can say. That's very unique. That's true. That's true. I, and now I kind of want to revisit the uh, novelization of Harry and the Henderson. I bet we could probably find it for just as cheap as we found this Santa Claus the movie one. Probably. <laughs> I can't Nobody even re- reads those anymore. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I saw Harry and the Hendersons. Um, Probably not since the no- early 90s, so. Was That's there a show based on it? There was. There was a syndicated show. Lithgow wasn't involved, but mm-hmm. they actually used the actual costume and guy who performed Harry in the movie for the sitcom. I think I remember the sitcom more than the movie. That's something we're going to have to revisit someday. We have, a, like, a yeah. whole list of movies that come, on, come <laughs> off of the, our fascination with Santa Claus movie that maybe they will do that after after right. we cover this movie. Not minute by minute, but, like, oh, no. every every month maybe we'll cover a movie that a Santa Claus the movie-related star was in. So, Ben, you also may remember John Lithgow. He was also in uh, Third Rock from the Sun as Dick Solomon for yes. multiple seasons. Yeah. I happen to know that every word in your book was published years ago. Perhaps you've read the dictionary. (laughs) Very, also a very full of himself, short tempered type character. A little more sympathetic than BZ was, but. You know, definitely an over the top. I never watched that show either. You never really watched it? No. I can't say I'm like a super fan, but I definitely came across it time and time again. Like, I remember, like, little bits and clips, you know, that would, like, show up probably in commercials or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, in passing. But I don't, I never watched the show. It wasn't a regular, you know. But you, more recently, you've come across him in a show that you watched during the pandemic. Yes, I watched Dexter. And uh, he was a serial killer in that show. And that was quite interesting for me to watch. Is this who you are? Ta-da. Look at you. I never took pride in what I did. No, you're a very special kind of monster. You destroyed your own family. I gave them everything. No, you took everything. I was like, it's John Lithgow. He's a serial killer. <laughs> and he's still pretty active right to this day. He's popping up in all sorts of things. He popped up in the 2019 uh, reboot of Pet Cemetery, and he's been on a couple of those HBO and Netflix series recently. And and of course, I, you know, I'm trying to hold back some Lithgow trivia, you know, because we do we are spending the next however many minutes of the movie with him. Mm-hmm. But he's also noteworthy for a lot of roles that he turned down mm-hmm. um, or just couldn't do. Like we talked about it a while ago that Doc Brown in Back to the Future was written with John Lithgow in mind, but he couldn't do it because he had prior commitments, which we kind of think <laughs> following the timeline and when these movies came out, 
this may have been the prior commitment that kept him from being Doc mm-hmm. Brown in Back to the Future. So I wonder if that yeah. that can play into his uh, feelings towards this movie. Maybe. Probably. Probably. Because, I mean, just imagine what he would have gotten out of being Doc Brown in a trilogy, you know, that uh, didn't happen with this one like they really wanted. So Tim Burton wanted him as the Joker in... 1988's Batman but Lithgow came in and you know he was doing other things he was doing a Broadway uh, show at the time and said you know take me out of the running I, I don't want to I don't want to do it and he also thought who's going to see a movie about Batman so can you picture a John Lithgow <laughs> Joker oh I mean I can but I'm okay you know I'm okay with how the movie turned out without without him you know what I mean? But he was a little off with uh, who would watch a movie about Batman. You know, I mean, Batman, that Batman was uh, pretty iconic. <laughs> and before he did, uh, got into TV really with uh, Third Rock from the Sun, a role that he turned down that they had him in mind for was on Cheers. They wanted him to do Frasier, but he turned it down because he didn't want to do television at that point. Uh, so so these are some of the noteworthy roles that he didn't do. I'm sure these still haunt him to this day. <laughs> I could see him playing <laughs> Frasier for sure. But that's nothing that's not taking away all no. the things he has done. I'm sure he's mm-hmm. doing just fine. <laughs> I mean, well, a man like him, he couldn't say yes to everything. You know what yeah. I mean? Like for a while there, he was probably asked to do a lot of things. That's true. That he just couldn't do. And of course, uh, did you did you ever see the the Twilight Zone movie, where he's on he's on the plane and looks out the window and like the creatures out on the wing and nobody believes him. I don't know. You you never saw that in all your regular years watching the Sci Fi Channel. You know, I just I just don't know. I could have. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, this could be like a five hour podcast just going over every movie in the Lithgow <laughs> filmography. <laughs> And one more, one more thing. I'm sure, surely you have to remember, John Lithgow was the voice of Lord Farquaad in the Shrek. Academy Award-winning <laughs> animated feature. If you can believe it, I, can't, I still can't believe that Shrek was the first movie, the first animated movie to win the Academy Award. The lovely Princess Fiona from the fiery keep of the dragon. If... For any reason, the winner is unsuccessful. The first runner-up will take his place. And so on and so forth. <laughs> well, you know, the first Shrek, the first Shrek, that's really hard. Those are too hard. Those two words are really hard to say together. The first Shrek was a very good animated movie. I mean, it, you know, it hit all of the the popular um themes at the time you know the music the dancing the comedy level like i mean it was it was pretty good it's debatable how well it's aged well something like a toy story is aged a lot better than a shrek yes i I never said it aged well nor did (laughs) i say that the five gazillion shreks after that were any good but the first one at the time (laughs) was very good i brought up some 
preparing for this, I brought up some uh, Lord Farquaad clips on YouTube to refresh my memory, and it's like, this is just him being BZ. It's just BZ. Mm. It's anim- and the character even looks like a caricature of John Lithgow, looking back. It's, it's like, I didn't realize yeah. how closely the animators modeled it after him. Yeah, just him with long hair. Yeah, and very short, because he's very yeah, tall, well, yeah. and he's very tall in real life. Yeah, very tall, but <laughs> he's definitely short in, as Farquaad. So John Lithgow, uh, he describes BZ as arrogant, greedy monster, which, you know, pretty spot on. Yeah. Basically, he's everything Santa Claus isn't, mm-hmm. reading out the press kit again. A man in love with himself and making money. Almost a fairy tale villain in the great tradition of Captain Hook or the Big Bad Wolf. So he's got to be tremendously engaging. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on to say, I think people come looking for me when they are casting a heavy because there is a good deal of acting involved. And I bring a good deal of acting to it. He then erupts into a typical BZ laugh. Probably too much. <laughs> you can tell he's loving this role. Uh-huh. He's gets to be so over the top and just cut loose and be the most despicable over the top <laughs> i've compared him to he's like a cartoon character out of nowhere in this movie yes yeah yeah he's like a caricature of a caricature <laughs> yeah <laughs> now the senator here that's speaking to bz he has a uh, gray hair wearing glasses i have no idea who this actor is even IMDb does not have a guess as to who this actor is. He's not credited at all. That That's not a surprise, is it? No, not really. So he's the one who has the, he's the chairman, because that's what his little placard says in front of him in the close-ups. But I cannot find who this man is. You would think that to have the role that he has, that he would have to be someone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... This couldn't have been his first and only acting role. Oh, definitely not. However, I did find who the other senator is, the one with the darker hair, the younger one off to the side. The huffy one? Yeah, I guess guess you could (laughs) describe him as that. (laughs) Well, that's what he does when when it's like the close-up. He's like, you know. But anyway, okay, yeah. He was played by Stuart Milligan, uncredited, of course. He's the one with the dark hair. He was born in 1953 in Boston, Massachusetts. He has uh, quite the uh, filmography over on IMDb, usually playing politician-type characters. He played Richard Nixon in three episodes of Doctor Who in 2011. Any recollection of that? Remember uh, Nixon popping up in Doctor Who Well, he would have looked a lot older than this oh definitely in in 2011 so i can't say but i'm not surprised <laughs> i know i'm glossing over a, a lot of roles in his filmography but his most recent credit he played the president of the united states in 2020's wonder woman 1984 oh it doesn't even it doesn't that didn't click at all you know, I mean, granted, he's a bit younger here. Oh, definitely. But, um, huh. So one more actor in this scene that we have to mention is BZ's lawyer. Mm-hmm. He looks familiar. He's also not credited <laughs> in the credits. Are you noticing a trend here? Yeah, they didn't credit anyone for anything. So this is Morgan Deer, born in 1945. He has a long 
list on IMDb as well, usually playing judges, principals, taxi drivers, that sort of thing. He was in a 2018 episode of Doctor Who, which is probably where you remember him from. Yeah. He uh, shows up in the 1996 Mission Impossible movie. Uh-huh. But if you can believe it or not, this is something he's credited for. On-screen credit. He was the voice of the gorilla who kicks Eddie Valiant out of the nightclub in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> What do you think you're doing, chump? You calling a chump, chimp? And don't let me catch a peeping face around here again. Got it? Booga booga. He also shows up, uh, there's like a film editor at the cartoon studio that he played, but he also did the voice of that, uh, a uh, bouncer gorilla that he got credit for, but he didn't get a credit for being BZ's lawyer. Huh. Interesting, huh? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really say much. He just kind of sits there and yeah, kind of whispers. Over. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of looks kind of <clears throat> yeah. and whispers in uh, BZ's ear. Yeah. So BZ here is looking uh, pretty uncomfortable. He, he's pretty on the spot. We haven't mm-hmm. really talked about much of what's going on in this minute. No, not really. We've just talked about who's in it. We're only like, yeah, half hour into it. (laughs) 30 minutes into this minute, and let's talk about what's happening in the minute. (laughs) So um, our southern senator, the chairman, asks... Manufactured by your company, the BZ Toy Manufacturing Corporation? Um, Yes, senator. This doll appears to be one of our own Betty Beauties. We don't really get a good look at a Betty Beauty here in this shot. You, we see it's wearing a big old dress. But we do see it uh, in a couple minutes from now, a better look at it as it's being pulled off of store shelves. But it's like a Barbie doll, like the BZ knockoff of a Barbie doll. But bigger. She's like a bigger doll. Yeah, that's true. She's more like, you know, like a baby doll size. But not a baby doll, like a fat... More, she is a fashion doll, but just bigger than a Barbie. Yeah, like a, a like a cross between, <laughs> like somewhere between Barbie doll and like Cabbage Patch size. She's like in in the middles. <laughs> the senator snaps his finger, and a man in a suit holding a lit cigarette demonstrates how easily the doll catches on fire. And somebody, I don't know if it's in the press or uh, just in the room. Some somebody in the room, you can hear say, "Oh crap!" Yeah. <laughs> Because that doll bursts into flames. <laughs> I don't know if I ever heard that when I was a kid watching it, but watching it here, like right before starting it, I was like, man, that's a loud woman. Holy crap. <laughs> was it a woman? I guess it could have been a woman or a man, but so many people were talking at the same time. Yeah, I hear lots of holy crap and oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> During this shot, the close-up of the uh, guy lighting the doll on fire, you get a good look at him in the press in the press box. There is a photographer wearing a baseball cap. That is director Janot Schwartz himself in the shot. A little cameo there. 
we need to go over his filmography some someday. I, I feel bad we're 62 minutes into this thing, <laughs> and we haven't really talked about him at length. We brought him up again and again, and here he is on screen. <laughs> like, we promise we'll get to you. We'll get to you, you know. <laughs> Probably during the credits. <laughs> Probably. We need to save stuff to talk about in the credits, you know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Then he holds up the flaming doll. That doesn't seem very safe. Covers it with a towel, though. Yeah. Oh, man. BZ must have... You would think before the Senate hearing, he must have been bombarded with lawsuits. Uh, you would think so. You would think so. Which, I guess that might go to what they talk about a little bit later. They didn't say anything about lawsuits in the movie, but that may contribute to the conversation that him and his assistant have later on. I'm not going to bring it up yet, but when they later on when they're talking. The uh, chairman asks... Well, what do you say to that, sir? BZ doesn't read the room very well. Well, Senator, I've always known that cigarette smoking could be hazardous to your health. <laughs> while he's holding a cigar. I don't think that it really goes together well. <laughs> the senator calls him a disgrace to his profession. This is not a laughing matter, sir. This is a tragedy waiting to happen. You, sir, a disgrace to your profession. So a table containing a uh, plush panda bear is wheeled out. Also visible is a very crazy-looking vehicle of some sort that I didn't notice until re-watching this minute that it was included here. We'll get to that in a minute because uh, the same gentleman who lit the doll on fire rips the head off of this plush panda. And the toy that is supposedly suitable for three-year-olds is revealed to be stuffed with sawdust, nails, and broken glass. Um, Senator, with all and due respect... And I believe this toy is advertised as being suitable for three-year-olds. Okay, Ben, I, I need your opinion on something. Mm -hmm. When this guy lifts up the toy panda, I swear I hear a sheep noise, like... Meh. Or a goat go, meh. It's like, I don't believe anything else in the courtroom would be making this sound except for the toy. But why would the panda be making a sheep sound? What, what What's your take on this? Okay, so watching it with the sound, the movie, watching the actual clip, watching the actual clip, I'm wondering if maybe the panda is supposed to make that noise because it happens right as he lifts the panda up. So I don't know if maybe it's one of those, um, like a, a sound-generated toy. It's just a weird choice of a sound effect for the panda toy. Because all I can think of and all I've ever thought of in this scene is like, I hear a sheep. <laughs> for three And I love how they're pouring the contents of this panda out onto this bin. And the bin doesn't have sides. So like the glass <laughs> and the... And the dust is just flowing onto the table, onto the ground. Like, you would have thought they would have put it in a bin that would collect all of this dangerous material that uh, has fallen out of this panda head, but no. I, I, I don't see how this saves BZ any money. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, so, like, isn't cotton... <laughs> wouldn't cotton be, uh, you know, just as easy to obtain as... Broken glass and nails. <laughs> you think Sawdust. So? You think so? 
this is definitely a shot of the movie that really uh, sticks to you when you're an unsuspecting child watching this movie yeah. in 1985. Yeah. It's like, oh, what's in my stuffed animals? <laughs> well, not only that, but you see this bear get its head ripped off. Mm-hmm. And it's like a close-up of it. <laughs> and there's glass and nails flying out of it. It's like, what's <laughs> happening in this Santa movie? <laughs> What is going on? Don't buy toys in stores, kid. <laughs> Let Santa deliver them. <laughs> the crowd is just uh, shocked. The press is going crazy. The lawyer is whispering to BZ again. Uh, Senator, I'm even more astonished than you are. And then our minute ends. Mm-hmm. The... the uh, futuristic looking car almost i don't know it looks like a cross between the jetsons and chitty chitty bang bang <laughs> that that car disap- that car disappears you don't see anything yeah. of it so i'm curious what that car did it, and ben says it's revealed in the comic book but before you get to that i want to say that uh we do get a good look at what this car is called in a couple minutes from now no i'm going to be bouncing ahead but we had to bounce ahead to know what this car is referred to in the movie Mm-hmm. When Patch first pops up in New York City, we see the Beezy toys being pulled off store shelves. We see the Betty Beauty. We see the Panda. And then we also see a close-up of the box for this car. And it's called the Electro Ampho car. Yes. So I'm like, okay, the bear is stuffed with sharp objects. The doll easily catches on fire. I, I, I'm afraid to find out what this car did. Well, um, if you uh, if you think about what kind of car it is, uh, this toy car gives off electric shocks. So it elect like it shocks the kids when they're playing with it. Like it gives off an electric shock. Oh, and doesn't the box say it's fun for uh, on land or in the water? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm so you can imagine. <laughs> I'm surprised no child has died well, playing you know, with the toys manufactured from BZ. You you don't know that for sure because they don't just have Senate subcommittee meetings for just about anything. You know what I mean? Like, I would think that probably some kids were hurt in order for them to have a meeting with BZ about it. That's true. I... I I don't think anyone was killed in the context of the movie, though, because the senator does say it's a tragedy waiting to happen. He he doesn't say, like, 30 children have died playing with your toys. (laughs) And you refuse to recall them. (laughs) Oh, man, this movie really took a dark turn. (laughs) So any final thoughts before we wrap up this minute? Well, I just wanted to read what the book used as a description of bz because i i just kind of thought that it was kind of funny well not like funny i don't know like it's humorous so sitting before the committee members clad in an expensive conservatively styled business suit and flanked by an ever alert attorney he concentrated on maintaining the appearance of confident respectability and injured innocence that he had worked so hard to perfect before his shaving mirror this morning. It had been hard then, and it was still hard, to make his long, pasty-looking face seem wholesome, or his hard, beady blue eyes look innocent, 
almost as hard as it was to cover his bald spot with the slicked-down strands of his thinning brown hair. So in the book, Beezy was uh, balding on top, which uh, he is in the movie, and he has beady blue eyes. <laughs> <coughs> beady blue eyes, and uh, he has a uh, pasty-looking face. <laughs> That's what the book said Beezy looked like. And, you know, I mean, they got it. (laughs) So I guess that's going to bring us to the end of Minute 62. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week, hopefully. (laughs) We hope. (laughs) So, Ben, where can everybody find us online if they they don't know already? If you haven't told them 61 times already. If you haven't listened to the previous 61 minutes, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Santa Minute, or you can email us SantaByTheMinute at gmail.com. Email us, especially if you know who played the senator. Yeah, if you know who any of these supporting roles were played by, that would be extremely helpful. Yeah, even if you know somebody who knows somebody who is an extra in the background, maybe in the press box or something. I don't know. We'd love to hear from you. There's no role in the making of Santa Claus the movie too minor not to fascinate us. Yes. We'll do a full-fledged interview with, like, oh, my uncle swept the floors at Pinewood Studios or something. We would love to hear about it. Ben and I post a brand new episode each and every Wednesday. And as always, you can listen to any of those episodes... For free!